Good morning. I want you to take your Bibles out, turn to the book of Romans. We're going to be there today. We've already had a great time this morning. Aren't we a blessed church family with the music? We've got some incredibly talented people, not only up here, but also back there that, that work and, and put all this stuff together. Heritage was never created to be a place that attracted people because of all the stuff we have. We just want to be real. And we're blessed to be able to do that on a, on a weekly basis around here. I wanted to bring you guys up to date. Last week, um, I asked you to, to participate with us in a time of prayer around our school campuses all around this area, over 100 schools in Lake um, Sumter and Marion Citrus Counties. And um, we don't have all of our stuff in, but I wanted you to know, based on the, what we've already heard back and some estimates that we have, there were over 2,200 people that participated in prayer last Sunday night on school campuses. Um, and that for us is not just an event, something that we do, but for us that is an ongoing process as we, we believe that um, so goes the school, so goes the community. And for us as a church body, our schools are very important to us. That's why we spend a lot of time focusing. That's why we participate. That's why we have blessed Fruitland Park, that's why we had Bless Wildwood, that's why we have Project Generosity, so we can invest. And when we invest, it gives us an opportunity to not only bring support uh, and encouragement to those in our community, in our school campuses, but it also connects us to people who need Jesus. And that's why we do what we do. Uh, God's put us in this place for such a time as this, and we are blessed to be part of what God's doing. Um, listen, I know that I ask you to turn to Romans 1. We're going to be there today. I don't, I don't know about you, but there seems to be this sense of unsettledness wherever we go. Or you, you sense that, Leanne? You sense that? It seems like there's, everybody's on the edge. Y'all on the edge today? I mean, you, yeah, not on the edge. It seems like people are on the edge. You either vax or you don't vax. And it's like it's getting further and further away. What used to divide us is now like, oh my goodness gracious, are you kidding me? Come on, people. Such an unsettledness, um, anger, meanness, nastiness. Um, there's this, this attitude of, you know, um, where, where is the truth? Who do we trust? Where's my hope? Where is the peace in all of this uncertainty that we're experiencing? And we are walking through this book of, of Romans and and uh, up until this point in time, Paul has been giving us the good news, talking about the righteousness of God. And, and man, what great new good news it is, but there, there's a change that's going to take place today. It's fixing to get a little rough, a little tight. And, um, but up until this time, Paul's given some information about himself. He's talked about who he is and the fact he wants to go to Rome and why he wants to go to Rome and he wants to share of his life. He also wants to be encouraged by those that are there. And I think some of the things that Paul is also doing, uh, there might have been some rumors that were circling around by the fact that Paul had, had walked away from his Jewish faith and was preaching this um, heretical message about, about Jesus and this, this man named Jesus. But what Paul wanted to know to them was that Jesus was the fulfillment of what had been taught and what had been proclaimed in the Old Testament. And so if you remember last week, we ended up with the fact of, of what Paul said, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power to save. It's God's plan of salvation for all mankind. It's available to every person, red, yellow, black, and white. We are precious in his sight, tall, short, skinny, and those who aren't skinny. <laughs> Wherever that lands. But we've heard Paul communicate the good news up until this time, but it's almost like Paul stops. And he says, you know, you guys don't know how good you got it. And you don't understand the good news, and so you don't understand the significance of the good news. So, so let, me, let me give you the other side. Let me tell you why the good news is such good news. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. You just don't know how good you have it. You ever heard that? That happened in my van one time. We had come back. I, uh, Abby had, um, had gone, I'd taken her to Nicaragua on a trip and, and um, she had experienced 
the heat, I guess you can say, which really wasn't that big a deal. But when we got back in the van, I remember uh, Caleb and Anna, they were young, they were complaining about how, how hot it was. You know, there's some things we do as parents and we go, yeah, that's it. This was one of those times because Abby, Abby pipes up and she says, hot, you don't know what hot is. You should have been with me in Nicaragua. It was hot. That was hot. You didn't have no air. And she just went on and on. I'm thinking, yeah, listen to this. Listen, I am a proponent of taking your kids overseas to places to experience things that they've never experienced because it will change their life and their perspective. It's a big deal. And so here's Paul beginning in this letter. He's going to be speaking about the Gentiles. Eventually he's going to make his way all the way to the Jews, but he begins this, this argument with the word all. He uses that there in verse 18. And what I'm going to do today is I'm not going to, I'm not going to read everything up front, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of graze through like a cow, and we're going to stop from time to time, and we're going to, we're going to make some points but I want you to start today by writing down this for me. I want you to write down the wrath is revealed. God's wrath is revealed. And let me say this about your notes. Your notes may be right, they may not be right. I've made a lot of changes. Man, this is, I've wrestled with this and battled with this for the past several days and I've made changes up until this morning because I want you to hear what God's word has to say. But I already know that there are some things that you guys are going to get stuck on today, and you're going to, you're going to want to hone in. You're going to want to hone in. And, um, but I want to remind you that this that I am reading from is our source of truth. Not what I tell you, but this is your source of truth. Not what society has to say, not what your buddies have to say, not what your friends tell you, but I want you to know that this is our source of truth. Of truth, and there are some of you that may get stuck on some descriptions or some uh, some specific words today. And I just want you to—I want to say this to you. In all honesty, listen. Really, be careful. Really, be careful. That all of us are without excuse. But what I want you to see today is—is is this: that sin is sin. God doesn't like it. He opposes it. He doesn't condone it, but God loves the sinner. And there is a tension that lies within as we live in this world and we seek to follow the Lord. And so I want to just begin today, and I wanted um, to write down the wrath of God. That's important. We're going to start there, but I want to pray for us as we, as we begin to read God's word. Father, Lord, as we spend some time in your word today, there are going to be some things that, that bring about some tension, and that's okay. But Lord, what I pray today is that for those of us that are believers in this room, that we would be encouraged as well as, well as challenged. For those of us that are seeking after you, that God, that we would be reminded of what your word has to say. For those of us that are running from you today, that your word would be remind, a reminder to us of the consequences of disobeying you, of rebelling against you. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and that we would hear your voice today. Father, not the voice of condemnation, but a voice of love, assurance, but also a, a word of truth that your wrath is real and there is a price to pay. Hear us today, Father, as we spend some time in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start off there in Romans chapter 1, verses 18. Let's read there for a couple of verses. But God showed his, his anger. Your translation may say wrath, depending on which translation you have. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything that God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for knowing God. Let me say a couple of things. Give me a couple of thoughts about God's wrath as we begin today. There are two basic Greek words that describe the word wrath. One of those is thumos. The word thumos uh, is where we get our word thermometer, is where we get our word thermos. 
Um, and it means this burning anger, this out of control. We might say flying off the handle. It might be, it might be your response when somebody cuts you off in traffic. You've had that happen this week? Yeah. Well, that's not the type of word here that, that is being described. That's not the word that's being used here. But the second word that, we, that was used for wrath is a word called orge. It means to grow ripe like a fruit. You know, we've got pineapples in the backyard. There's lots of pineapples, and they're starting to turn. They're ripen, and I'm waiting for the right moment to pick them. See, if you go to a store, most of the ones in the store have been picked. They've been green. They're green. Oh, they lose their flavor. But you should come to my house, taste my pineapples, because they're incredible. Because I wait for the right moment, the perfect time to be able to pick them so that we can enjoy them. And here's this word that, that Paul is using to describe wrath. It's something that builds up over a long period of time. It's like the backing up of water to a dam, waiting for that, that, that perfect moment. It's under control. And that's the word that Paul is using here to describe God's wrath. God doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't lose control. He doesn't pitch a fit. Man, he doesn't lash out in anger because he gets his feelings hurt. But God's responses are controlled. They're perfect. They're timely. And so you've got this wrath of God or bad news that is going to be parallel to what we've been reading, the good news and the righteousness of God that we've been talking about. And Paul writes this in verse 18, but God shows his anger, his anger, his orgate, from heaven against all sinful and wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And here's a couple of thoughts as it relates to wrath. Number one, you can write it down. God's wrath targets living in sin. God's wrath targets those who are living in sin. God's wrath isn't targeted or focused at the godly or the righteous, but God's wrath targets sin and those who live in sin. Because God is righteous and holy, this is what we know, that he must punish sin. God's, God's word says that he hates sin, that sin is detestable to him because he is our creator. And as our creator, God, our heavenly father, knows exactly what sin does to his creation. It destroys it. It's deadly. He hates it. And we can glorify God because he is loving and just, and his response is always Perfect. The second thing I want you to write down this morning is God's wrath is earned. God's wrath is earned. Our salvation isn't earned. It's not something that we, we earned. It's not something that we work for, but it's by God's grace. Through faith, God gives us something that we don't deserve. But on the other hand, here's God's wrath is something that we do deserve. Paul said it's the ungodly and the unrighteous who suppress or hold down or restrain the truth and exchange the things of God for lesser things. Even though we know better, we choose to do things our own way. Anybody ever done something that you knew was wrong and you did it anyway? Raise your hands, let me see. Everybody ought to have your hands raised. Because all of us have done that at some point in time, haven't we? I mean, you, you've, you've known what was wrong, and yet you chose, you made a choice to do what you wanted to do. There was an exchange that took place. The things of God for those that were lesser, even though we knew, we did it. And Paul said, look, none of us have an excuse. None of us. Um, and it's not one of those, I didn't know, or nobody ever told me, or... Um, but none of us are without excuse. One of the questions we hear sometimes is the question, I've heard it before, um, what about all the people around the world that have never heard the gospel? Don't they have an excuse? And Paul would say, no, no. Paul said, no, God has revealed himself in creation that even though God may be hidden from our sight, we can see and experience him through creation. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 19. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything that God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nation, nature, so that they have no excuse for not knowing God. God's existence 
His glory has been revealed to all, all, all of us. It's like a, a piece of art. Um, it's like a piece of artwork points to an artist. I have, a, I, have, I have one of our kids in the house that is an incredible artist, and she draws wonderfully. And you look, oh, my word, that's unbelievable. And you, I can tell when she does because her artwork, it, it points to an to a artist in the same way God's creation points to the creator. Turn over in the Old Testament with me to the book of, of Psalms, and let's look at see what David had to write in the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 19. Just flip your Bible open to the middle. You should turn right into the book of Psalms and flip over to verse or chapter 19. Let me just read this for you. You can read along. If you don't have your Bible, you can read, but I hope you have your Bible today. Let's read what David said in Psalms chapter 19 in reference to, to God's glory and his creation. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word, and their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth, and their words to all the worlds. I, I don't know about you, but I've had the privilege of seeing some incredible things over the years. Meredith and I have had the privilege of seeing lots and lots of sights from the, from the clear waters, the crystal waters of the Keys to the, to the mountains, the, the Canadian Rockies. Um, I mean, I have had the privilege of myself of witnessing something that many people would say would be on their bucket list. I've seen the northern lights. I've watched them as they've danced across the skies. I've fished for salmon in the salmon in the Kenai River in Alaska. I've ridden a camel on the shores of the Sea of Bengal. I have ridden the waves, the uh, the rapids in the jungles of Nicaragua. And each one of those, I am reminded of God's incredible greatness. I was sharing with Manny earlier. I remember, I remember being in, in Nicaragua, way way in the jungle. And it had taken us basically two days to get to where we were. And uh, we were looking for a, a tribe of people called the Mayama people. That is an unreached people group in, in Nicaragua. And um, they had heard there were, there were people that had, word had gotten out that we were coming to this area. And I remember that night um, thinking to myself, because they asked me if I would speak, and I'm thinking to myself, what? What, what in the world do I, I, t I tell? Because you have to understand, I mean, I'm in a different culture. I'm in a different place. I mean, they don't identify with driving down to McDonald's and getting a hamburger, okay? It just doesn't work that way. It's different. It's totally different. And I'm asking myself, Lord, what is it you want me to communicate with these people that are traveling so far to here? And that night I had gone outside and I looked up in the sky and I thought, that's it. This is it. As I looked in the heavens and I saw the stars and I thought to myself, your creation, your incredible creation, that where I am, wherever I may be, whether it be here or there in America or here in the jungles of Nicaragua, our Heavenly Father created it all. Amen. Amen. That was the message that I needed to be able to share. God's creation is an incredible. And when we look at God's creation, how in the world can we not stand in awe? I mean, to stand over the Grand Canyon or to see the, the tall sequoias or the or the, uh, the, the, uh, the redwoods in California, or to, to, to drive through Yosemite and see those incredible mountains that God has created. I remember when Meredith and I had gone to Canada one time, and I think it was when she was pregnant with Abby, and we took some time to, to, to travel down uh, from Calgary, where we were, down to the, through the Canadian Rockies into Glacier National Park. And to get there, we, had to, we, we wanted to be able to go through going to the sun Road. I don't know if any of you ever heard of that. If you've never been there, it's, there's only one time of the year that you can get through. And if you can ever do that trip, you need to do it. I remember we had in this rented vehicle, and as we're making it through the, to the pinnacle of where we were, and then back down into Glacier, into the States, into Montana, I mean, there were times that you would, your breath would be taken away. I mean, we would stop the vehicle, and we would just go, this is incredible. I mean, things that you see, but all of a sudden here they are in, in person. And we just cranked up the praise and worship music. And, and I just remember thinking, God, how incredibly, unbelievably awesome and magnificent that you are. 
I've had the privilege of witnessing the greatest of all creations too, the birth of our children, the pinnacle of, of God's creation. Um, and here's Paul in, in 21, in verse 21, giving us an example that some say, this is a pastor, teacher, author, Warren Wiersbe, who's now gone on to be with the Lord just a couple of years ago. What he refers to as the devolution of man, devolution of man, not evolution of man. Evolution, uh, it, it proclaims that man was here and that man's moving this direction. What Wiersbe said, no, it's the devolution of man, that man was here, created in the image of God, and he's moving this way. It's a spiral down. Here's man. Man didn't just stumble, but he fell from knowing God to rejecting God. Going back to the book of Genesis, you know the story. I mean, here it is. God created heaven and earth. And it all began with Adam and Eve, knowing God, walking with God, having a relationship with God, yet turning from God and rejecting him. God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. And here was that crowning pinnacle of all of his creation when he created man man and woman, and he created them in his image. And what he did is he placed them in the garden and he, he told them to be, be fruitful and multiply and to, and to govern over what he had given them. And he gave them everything, everything. And when he placed them in the garden, he said, look, you have anything that you want. Just don't eat of that tree over there. Don't do it. Because if you will, you'll surely die. And you know the story where the deceiver, the father of lies, Satan himself comes in and, and he began to tempt them with, with um, idolatry and pride. And Satan said, listen, did God really say? Well, yeah, he said, I don't know if he did or not. See, God just doesn't want you to eat of that tree. He doesn't want you to, for your eyes to be open and for you to become like God, to become like him. And you know what happened. And since that time, Satan hasn't let up on his relentless attack on humanity. And to this day, we struggle. We struggle. We wrestle. And you know why we wrestle? Because we want to be in control. We want to be the one that calls the shots. We want to be the one that sets the rules out. And here it was. Man went from walking and talking with God in the garden to a, from obeying him to, to, to having that fellowship to, to hiding and turning from God. And instead of being thankful for all the things that God had blessed them with, they refused to give him the glory that he deserved. And look at what it says in verse 21 and 22. It said, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God and even give thanks. And talking about the results, they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was was like, and as a result, their minds became dark and confused and claiming to be wise, and instead they became utter fools. And look at some results that Paul gives us as a, re as a result of idolatry. And let's define idolatry. Idolatry is anything or anyone that, that, that causes that we put above the one true God, anything or anyone that we put above God. And when we do that, what does Paul say? Our thinking becomes futile. Our hearts become darkened, and we become like fools. When we reject God, when we walk away with God, when we refuse to worship him, we place ourselves above God and say, God, listen, <laughs> I'm in charge. God said, well, if that's what you want to do, I don't think it's good. I don't think you want to do that. And when we do that, we exchange the things of God for lesser Things. And in verse 23, what we see is some parallel descriptions of people who reject God, some exchanges that we make, um, and, and that sort of, sort of go along with what Wearsby had said is the devolution of man that Wearsby talked about, this, this, this spiral that begins to take place. Write down the word idolatry because we see it. The first exchange that we see there is centers around the world of idolatry. Paul wrote that the people knew God, but they refused to worship or acknowledge him. And then he says in verse 23, instead of worshiping God, of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and, and reptiles. In other words, instead of worshiping God, man began to worship statues. Man began to worship nature and other things. And we see examples of this throughout the scripture when man walked away and rebelled against God. And you say, well, that's crazy. That really doesn't apply to us. We, doesn't have, we don't have that around here, or do we? Remember, 
Remember what the definition of idolatry is when we place something above God. What about a celebrity or what about a musician or what about a professional athlete, a public figure? Just remember what idolatry is. And you may say, well, Sid, that doesn't really apply to me because I'm just not into all that kind of stuff. Yet how many of us put our work, our family, our hobbies, our possessions? I mean, it's easy to say, not me. Yet how many of us do that? I mean, if we say, that's not me, I I would never do anything like that. There's a way to check yourself, check your checkbook, check your calendar. You'll find out quickly where your priorities lie. That's not me, Sid. Pull your checkbook out. Look at where your expenditures go. Take your calendar out. See where you're spending all of your time. You might be surprised what's in first place in your life. And what Paul wrote back then is still applicable to us today. And he goes on to give what God's response is. And you're going to see this several times here over the next uh, few verses. Look at what he says. And God abandoned them. He abandoned them. He left them. He gave them over to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each uh, each other's bodies. That was the response to idolatry. I mean... I can do what I want. I can go where I go. And God said, well, you can, but you're not going to like the outcome. See, when we choose to rebel against God, we see here where he allowed it, even knowing that over time that the freedom that we so much desire, that we so much long for, that we would lose that freedom and we would eventually face the consequences of rejecting him. You know, one of the most painful things I think in a parent's life is to, is to watch your kids make bad choices. But you can't change. I mean, you can put them in an environment and you can keep certain things from them, but you can't change the heart. And once you let the lion out, it's amazing what they'll do. It's a personal decision that we have to bring ourselves under submission and lay it before the Lord and say, Jesus, I give it to you. I give my life to you. But if that's what you want to do, you, you just you go ahead, but you're not going to like it. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've heard it put this way. Sin will take you further than you want to go, make you stay longer than you want to stay, and make us pay more than we want to pay. That's what sin does. And the Bible says God detests it. And Paul is saying that this downward spiral begins when we choose to put other things before God, before him. I mean, it's not like we're, we're born good and, and then all of a sudden we, we, we we're downhill from there. The Bible says after Adam and Eve that we're all born into sin and that we're all separated and we're alienated from God and our only hope is Jesus. Jesus. When we humble ourselves and place ourselves underneath and place our faith in him. Paul goes on to talk about a second exchange. Look at what he says in verse 25. He said they traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. We saw idolatry mentioned in the, in the first exchange. Here, here it is. We see it again. But it, it's, a, it's a very short move from idolatry to immorality. It's just a very short step. And when we place ourselves at the top of the totem pole and we put ourselves in the driver's seat, what we do is we abandon the truth of God and we abandon the truth of God for a lie. And here's the lie, that man is his own God. It's the same lie that Satan told Adam and Eve. Look, it's the same thing that we'll tell ourselves when we choose to sin. It doesn't really matter what God's word has to say. It doesn't really matter what God wants. It's what I want when I want it. It's the result of an attitude of self-deification. I am becoming like God. I am in control. Doesn't really matter. It's this attitude of self-indulgence that comes around, which, which ends up as a result of this moral rebellion. And Paul wrote in verse 26 and 27, he said, that's why God abandoned them. There's that word again. He abandoned them. He abandoned them to their shameful desires. I call the shots. I'm in the position of authority. 
I can do whatever I want to do. And Paul talks about these shameful lusts, and then he mentions a third exchange, a depraved mind. That the moral rebellion, the, the rejection of God ex, is expressed uh, in, in several different ways, with one of those being exchanging the natural for that which is unnatural as it relates to sexuality. And I want you to look at what Paul goes on to say in verse 26. And I already said this. I, I, some of you are just listening for certain things, and you're going to get focused on certain words and certain thoughts. Don't miss. Don't miss don't miss what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you today. Because your issue may not be what we're fixing to read. It may be something else, but it all is a result of a rejection of God and his authority in your life. It says here that even the woman turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women... It said they burned for lust for each other and men did shameful things with other men and as a result of sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Remember what God said up front, what the penalty of disobeying him was. If you eat of this, you will what? You will surely die. Rebellion against God. God, you don't have to tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want to do. You will surely die physically, emotionally, spiritually. It says in verse 28, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, and God, you're large and in charge instead of me. It said that he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that never should be done. Mm. Downward spiral. I'm in control. Rejection of God. Mm. No, God, it's me, not you. Deification, moving myself to a place of being like God. And we see the ramification there in verse 20, 28 when Paul tells us that God's response again was what? To give them over. To give them over to their foolish thinking or depraved mind, which means also reprobate or corrupt or worthless. A mind that doesn't care about the ways of God. When we continue to sin and make decisions based on what we think is right and wrong, what, but what, it, what we think our feelings are and our opinions, when we live that way, we play God, which eventually leads to a warped mind, a depraved mind, which is nothing more than a downward spiral. Homosexuality. It's an activity that is contrary to God's will. It's a departure from God's knowledge and His plan. There are those of us around us that are trying to redefine what God has already defined. Culture says that which is acceptable is acceptable, but it's not. What is our source of truth, people? Is it, is it, is it what we feel? I mean, is, is it what somebody tells us that we should believe? No. God's word is truth. It's real. And the wrath of God is real. You could get mad at me, but I'm not the one that said this. I'm just a mouthpiece. That's all I am. But see, there's a tension that lies within all of this stuff because we, we, oh, well, if I do this, I'll condone or I will approve of. No, God didn't approve or he didn't condone sin, but he loved the sinner. And before you start pointing fingers at people and you want to point out certain things, well, let me tell you what you're doing wrong. You better be careful because the last time I looked, the Bible says that all of us are sinners and I can point out lots of stuff in all of our lives, just like you can point it out in mine. Be careful. Be careful. Regardless of what culture says, a governing body says, what they say is approved or unapproved, sin is sin. Homosexuality is an act of the flesh that God's word is pretty clear on. But there are people that say, well, you know, the Bible, you know, it doesn't really, it's, it's, it's a little cloudy. I mean, that's what we want to think, but the Bible's pretty clear. Look at Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. I'll read it to you so you don't have to go finding it. This is what it says. Do not practice homosexuality for it is a detestable sin. That's what God's word says. Can I tell you? Let me read it to you in Hebrew. It says this. Do not practice homosexuality for it is a detestable sin. That's what it says. What about the book of, what about the book of Corinth where Paul is, is writing and he includes homosexuality in a list of other sins. And listen, be careful. Don't point, just point things out. See, we're really good about pointing out these things over here and these things over here, we sort of slide them off to the side and we forget about them. But remember, sin is sin, and all of it separates us from God. 
It is an act of rebellion. And Paul says this, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. For those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols, commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality, there's that word again, or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't miss out the rejection of God, the wrath of God, moving away from God. Don't get focused on one little thing. Think about rejection and not bringing yourself under submission. Think about what it's like to put ourselves at the top of the totem pole. As a matter of fact, I can't think of one passage of Scripture that agrees with sin in general, especially sexual sin. Do you, I mean, can you think of one? Well, you know, you can do whatever you want to, but God will, God will forgive you and everything will be okay. Be careful. Be careful. What did Paul say? What shall I do? Continue in sin that grace may abound so I could get more grace? God forbid. No. See, if, if you're the same person, if you're the same person that you were here um, after you have supposedly came to trust Jesus and you're here and there's no difference, you better check yourself. Because there's no way that you can move from here in sin, rejection, rebellion against God. Say, I place myself underneath an authority to God and I submit my life to him and there not be change. There has to be transformation. There has to be transformation. There's no passage of scripture that I find in the Bible that puts sexual immorality, homosexuality in a positive light. The Bible is clear how God feels about sin in general, period. But the bottom line is when humanity, when we reject God, when you reject God, and I point out some fingers, you know, if they, maybe I'm pointing at you, me. When we reject God, what ends up happening is our, our thinking becomes futile, our hearts are darkened, and we become like fools. When we reject God, we become corrupted and condemned by sin that sin which we immerse ourselves in. It's this downward spiral. Can I read these last verses to you? This is what it says. Their lives become full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. Anything apply to you? Backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful, they invent new ways of sinning. Hello. Mm -mm. Wow. They disobey their parents. Teenagers, did you hear that? Disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break promises or heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. They know it. They know it, rejection of God, but you look what it says. But they do it anyway. Is that you? Maybe that's people that you know. And worse yet, it says they, they encourage others to do it with them. Misery loves a party, people. People in sin want to bring people along with them. The devil loves that. Teenagers, you be careful. Instead of being a follower, you be a leader. Instead of leading people to reject God, you lead people to submit to God. In the beginning, man walked with and glorified God, but they ended up exchanging the things of God for the things of man. And there's no excuse. We all stand guilty before the Lord. See, the opposite of a depraved mind is a transformed mind. A little bit later on in Paul's letter in chapter 12, he would say this, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way that, to worship him. Don't copy. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world. Don't buy into what CNN or Fox News or, or uh, USA Today or whatever magazine may tell you is popular and, and, and okay. What's vogue? Is that, is that, I mean, what's in, you know? Is that a good word? I don't know. It's not a good word. Meredith, Meredith she's my temperature gauge. She's my thumos, okay? You know, she moves it. 
But anyway, it says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is pleasing and perfect. Next couple of weeks, we're going to continue on in this bad news. Some of you may not want to come. I told, I probably did this wrong. I told somebody today, I don't know if you want to come to church on Sunday. This is not, I don't know. But why is that? I just don't know if you don't. You might want to watch it online so you can turn it off. But, but anyway. But God's wrath is real. And it's certain for those of us that rebel against God. But his forgiveness is real. It's true, and it's available for all of us who repent, cry out to him, recognize our sin, and turn to God. See, there, there's, there, there's, only, there's only two things here, really, honestly. We're either running to him or we're running from him. I mean, that's it. You're either running to God, you recognize his place of authority, and you trust him and you submit your life and I'm going to live in such a way or you're running from him and you're saying, eh, I don't really know about that. You know, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm in control. I'm at the top of the totem pole. I'm in the driver's seat of my life. But just as God's wrath is real, so is his love. John 3.36 says this, anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life and anyone who doesn't obey God's son will never experience eternal life, but remain under God's angry judgment. The wrath of God, <laughs> it's real. But for those of us that have trusted Jesus, we don't have to worry about that because the blood of Jesus has paid the price and it covers our sin. Romans 5, 9, Paul said this, said this, since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Jesus took the wrath upon himself when he was placed on the cross and he died for our sins. Praise the Lord. I don't have to worry about that anymore, but for those of us that have rejected God, those of us that are running from God, hmm, See, to rebel against God isn't only a rejection of his love and mercy and grace, but what it does is it opens up the door to the wrath of God. There's only two things. You're either running to him, you're running from him. Heaven, hell. That's what it is. That's what the Bible says. Can I give you just four closing thoughts? And we close. Number one, recognize that God as creator makes the rules. That's an important, important thing to remember. It's what the Bible says. Recognize that God is the creator. He's the one that makes the rules. He is the one who lays it all out for us. We don't have to question, regardless of what anybody else says. This is our source of truth. This is one of the things that came out of the Protestant Reformation people that, that began as a result of people reading this scripture. That God's word was true, it was real, it was inspired, it was breathed by God. The second, recognize God's wrath against sin is real. Number three, God's wrath is designed to awaken us to our sin and the seriousness of our rebellion. The wrath of God wakes us up so we understand the seriousness of rebellion. And if you're running from God today, recognize your sin. Humbly submit to him. Submit to him completely. I want to pray for you because I don't know where this sits for you today, but just remember there's only two things. You're either running to him or you're running from him. And I, show you, I challenge you guys today to check yourself. Those of us that are believers, be careful of pointing your fingers and becoming a Pharisee. Don't get stuck in a... In a, in a, in a in a thought process or just a description of words. Remember what it describes as the lifestyle that is of a person who rejects God and is running away from God. But there may be some of you here today that have never chosen to trust Jesus. What's it going to take? 
I mean, what, what is it you're waiting on? I mean, are you waiting for a disaster to take place before you come running back to God? Do you, do you question God's wrath, the fact that it's real? I can only tell you what the scripture has to say, but I bet this is what I know. The Holy Spirit has already spoken to you today of how you should respond. I want to pray with you, and after I pray with you, I want you to watch just a quick, quick video. And I want to introduce you to somebody. Jesus, thank you for this day, for the reading of your word. May we hear it. May it land where it needs to land. I don't want to run from you. I want to run to you. I don't want to live with foolish thinking, depraved mind. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to have to deal with all that stuff. I, I, want to, I don't want to put myself at the top of the totem pole. Jesus, I just want to obey you. I want to respond to you in love knowing exactly what you did for me. The price that you paid so that I would never have to experience your wrath. For the persons here that may not know Jesus, the ones that may be listening to my voice even today, would they cry out and say, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me. I want to follow you. I want to place my trust in you and you alone. And Jesus, this is what I asked. Father, I pray that as we wrestle through these next few weeks, God, I ask that we would be able to listen with a, with a heart that hears what you want us to hear so that we can communicate what you want us to communicate to this world so that we can live the way that you've called us to live and be your ambassadors. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Watch this little video clip. Hi, welcome aboard the Logos Home. You may have heard that our goal is to share knowledge, help, and hope with the people of the world. But what do we mean by hope? What is this hope that unites 400 people from 50 different countries on board the Logos Home? Our ships have visited over 1,400 ports in more than 150 countries. And we have witnessed the lostness of man. And we know of no other hope for mankind than the hope which we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People look to science, politics, education, economic development or religion. Trying to find a solution for society problems. But those things don't fix the fundamental problem. Which is that the heart of man is desperately wicked. And that is where Jesus is different. He did not come to earth so that bad people might become good people. He came that dead people might find life. the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is the hope that we seek to bring to the world on board the Logos Hope. And we do that fueled by your prayers and support. Get involved today. Find out more at omships.org. I wanted you to be able to see that because um, Mike and Lisa uh, have been very involved. Mike and Lisa, will you stand? They are coordinating our efforts with the Mobile Dental Clinic. Um, and Mike and Lisa had introduced me to OM International. What a great ministry that is doing some incredible work around the world. And they have been working with this organization now for, for quite some time, I believe, and going back and forth. And our desire is that one day here in the near future we'll have an opportunity maybe to participate and take some of you on a trip 
uh, to South Carolina to do some work with OM ships, but also in a difference that you guys can be seated. I want to introduce you to Will Schrader and his wife. Uh, they are with us this morning. Uh, he is also very involved with OM International. And this morning, we have the privilege of having four students from Korea. Would you guys stand? Five? Would you stand with us today? And these students are here being trained and getting uh, acclimated, and they will be leaving here in the next couple of weeks, headed to get on this ship to serve for the next two years in ministry. If you want to know more, yeah. if you want to know more about that ministry, there will be in the foyer. Um, we would they would love to spend time talking to you about what they do and. But it's a privilege to be part of the body of Christ that is much larger than what we do here. I always want, remember we talked about what Paul had said in reference to Rome. He had heard about their faith. I would love for people around the world to hear about heritage, not because of buildings or anything else, but because of our faithfulness and the faithfulness to the gospel of doing what God has called us to do. What a privilege that is. Man, thank you, Will, for you guys being here today. Students, we're glad to have you. I want you to walk out these doors. I want you to go and I want you to make a difference in the lives of Jesus and recognize that there's a difference between darkness and light and choose light. You are the greatest billboard that this world will ever see for Jesus. You have a great day.